All right, I'd like you to join me in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I don't know how much we'll get through tonight, but I really want to chat on this for a little bit. It's the end of the year, so I'm in that mindset of reflecting and then looking forward. This really is my favorite time of the year. Uh, Of course, the holidays factor into that quite a bit. But, you know, for those of you who know me and you've been under my teaching for a while, you know that our family lost a lot of people when I was growing up. My mother died of cancer when I was seven years old. And then my grandmother passed away when I was 12 years old. Most of our family lived in Ohio or in Miami. I don't think anybody lives in Miami now, but our family was always very small. This was not a negative thing. I loved it. It was some of the greatest times I can remember is just having birthday parties and Thanksgiving at my grandma's house and Christmas over there at my grandma's house. But because my family was small, I didn't realize the blessing of a large family until I married Kyla. And, you know, all of her family lives here, and it's just some of the greatest times, just like for Thanksgiving, just to sit down and hear everybody talk, not know what people are saying, but know that these people are special, and family is important. So it's always been something at the top of my enjoyment, is just being together with family. And once I married into Kyla's family, that really expounded, uh, and it, it became some of the things I look forward to the most, is spending time with uh, family members. But as I've also learned to pastor, and I'm learning to pastor, I I recognize how great of an opportunity it is to be with you here tonight. And I think one of the greatest things that we can do for each other is encourage one another. And like I said just a few moments ago, I've been thinking about this past year and looking forward to the next year, and we've seen a lot of growth here in in the ministry. There are people who have joined the church that just found the church in the beginning of the year. Many people have come to faith in Christ. We're going to do a better job of keeping track of that into next year and beyond. But we've had new visitors. The furthest we've had come visit us were from South Africa this year, which is a major encouragement that they found us on Sermon Audio. You know, we we pay for that service to be able to just, hey, take the gospel message, put it somewhere else, let God do his work. Amen? And so it's an encouragement to see people actually come here and say, yeah, we're on business, but we wanted to be here because... We found you on Sermon Audio. It's also encouraging, too, to see people grow. I know each one of you, you've gone through difficulties this year, and we've prayed for you, and the Lord has brought you through it. There are some of you who you have not yet seen that happen. You're still praying, but I think it's encouraging that we can see answered prayers throughout the ministry, and what a blessing that is. And for us who are waiting for answered prayer, we say, I can still trust the Lord. He's still faithful. He's still able. I can fully put my trust in Him. But I think, sadly, in a lot of places around church, encouragement is very low on the list. I would say where encouragement should be, performance is. What I mean by that is not just the way you dress and the way you appear to people, but the things that you say, the face that you put on, so to speak, the mask that we wear to make people think, man, I am just all good, there's no problems But internally, we're starving for the word. We're starving for fellowship. There's sin in our lives that we're not taking care of, and it's degrading. I don't think that's happening here at Calvary, but I think it's happening in a lot of churches. And I know there are people that are watching today who are looking for churches. They can't find churches. 
And I think that there's a need for speaking on this word encouragement. It's a very important word. And if you would actually go Google um, how many times the word encourage, the English word encourage is found in the Bible, you would find it only three times. It's actually translated differently in the King James Version. Um, It's translated the word exhort. And the Greek word is parakaleo. And it means someone to come alongside, but in the sense of comforting. It's used in many different ways. That's what's interesting about Greek. If you add different endings and beginnings and you add a feminine and masculine and neuter, you can get a bunch of different words. That word parakaleo can be used over a hundred times in the New Testament to mean different things. It can mean to beg or beseech, to console, all these different things. So you see different English words. But the word that we get encouragement from, that Greek word, is best understood as this, to console, to encourage, and strengthen by consolation to comfort. I want you to focus on those things. Console, encourage, strengthen to comfort. When you are reading in your Bible, you go home and do a word search tonight and you see the word exhort, you'll find 16 different uses of that specific English word. And most of the time, it's all that same definition, either to console, to encourage, strengthen by consolation. So it's, it's more than just saying something that is nice, right? You want to say something that has depth, that they can grab onto, and by the application of it, they're stronger. You see this in when, you know, when people are working out in the gym. Sometimes people get, it's kind of sad in our culture today, everybody's walking into a gym with a phone, and they're recording people, and they're making fun of these workouts that the person recording doesn't understand why that person is working out. But By the way, it's none of your business what's going on. But you can lift a small amount of weight and get very strong. You just have to do that more and more and more. You can lift a large amount of weight and not get any stronger at all because it's too large. Your muscles aren't able to do it. It's the repetition of lifting the heavy weight that produces the strength, not the heavy weight itself. It's the repetition that makes you strong. This is how, I, this is when I think of the word encourage, it is in this way. It is the repetitive, the repetitive decision to console to encourage and strengthen by consolation, to comfort one another. One of the things that I think we as a church may just miss, as far as church leaders go, is this idea of church discipline. It's almost like some leaders in some churches, they're carrying around these big bats, and they're just waiting for someone to mess up. They're just waiting for someone to be caught in some secret sin, and they're ready to absolutely decimate that person with the word of God, with shame, with you know, strong words, with very sharp rebuke. But many people are not walking around carrying a blanket to keep each other warm. I think one of the greatest things you can do for a brother who has fallen into sin is to come alongside and encourage them that that sin in which they are struggling with has been paid. You know what that does to people? When you give them a way out through the blood of Jesus Christ, what a thought. I know that just got real sarcastic, but I know from my perspective, it's like, I'm not, I'm not carrying around a bat here. I don't want people to fear me, to, although I guarantee you one of these days if I ask you to come into my office, if the fear won't happen to you, someone else will go, did you hear so-and-so got called in a pastor's office? I have to tell people when they come into my office, I'm like, hey, look, it's all good. It's all good. Sit down. 
Even the way I have my chairs in the office is like aimed towards conversation. You know, if my chairs were straight, psychologically, people go, we got to be careful. But if the chairs are turned a little bit, it's like, oh, we're open to conversation. But just naturally, sometimes people fear the pastor because of abuse that's been used in that ministry long before the person who's the pastor at the time was used. And that's not how it should be. Encouragement is because all of our sin is paid for. That's ultimately how we strengthen one another, amen? And then as a person has the opportunity to respond to encouragement, that's where the level of discipline begins to change. If you're telling somebody the truth and they are responding with a lie, there's a problem with them. They have to now be brought before another witness. If they don't respond then, now they need to be brought before the church for the purpose of correcting them. Then if they do not respond in that way, then you do what Paul said, deliver them to Satan so that the body can be destroyed, but the soul would be saved. That's, a, that's strong. Very rarely will you get to that point if you know how to encourage. It doesn't start with just someone saying, hey, look, I'm in sin. I have a problem. I need help. We can encourage each other tonight. Talking less, listening more, and listening with an ear that is set to remember. Amen? Right? That's the hardest thing. I tell my wife all the time, I have no problem with hearing. It's the retaining of what I hear. It's the listening that becomes a problem. And I know what it is. You can say it's a long day. You can say things are, I wasn't paying attention, which may be true. But at the end of the day, we choose to retain what we want to retain. And when, we, when it comes to the body of Christ, encouraging one another, that needs to be a top focus when we're here at church. That needs to be a top focus. We should be coming in ready to give ready to give. Now, that doesn't mean you're not going to come in some days and you need it. You need the encouragement. That's not a bad thing. But as much as is in you, remember to encourage one another. This is how people end up becoming forgotten. It's not because we didn't text them or email them or call them. It's because we didn't encourage one another. You want a stiff, hard, lifeless church? Don't encourage anybody. Don't try to help people, and strengthen people through their problems. Just focus on yourself. You just keep doing what you're supposed to do and everyone else can do what they want to do. That's not a healthy church. That's a church that has a problem. That's not encouraging. We're going to look at two passages tonight. Of the 16 that we could look at, I picked two because I think they best demonstrate how and why we should encourage. The first one here is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 1. Now, if you have a pen or a, a pencil... You can mark some of the things I'm going to say here because it'll, it'll be helpful. But I'll tell you those in just a moment. Paul just got done talking about the model believer and the believer's progressive sanctification in chapter 3. We're, we're kind of diving into the middle of the letter here. But he, he, he makes this statement. Furthermore, then we beseech you, we here are the apostles. Remember, they were going around traveling into different cities, giving the gospel. People were getting saved. So now you have little churches that are not in a building, but they're a part of the body of Christ, and they want to grow. They, we, you need to reproduce other believers. So when he says, we beseech you, that's the apostles coming in. We uh, begged you, brethren, and exhort you. So if you want to circle that word exhort, that's comfort. That's parakaleo. By the Lord Jesus. Very important to underline that. If you circled exhort, underline by the Lord Jesus. Why? Because that is how we exhort. That is how we exhort, and it's the authority that the apostles said comfort. We're comforting you 
by the Lord Jesus. This is what God, through His Son, wants you to do. Then he says this, and this is a full thought. That's why I think the translators put a comma there. That as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. So that's the completed phrase, I'm encouraging you, by the Lord Jesus Christ, we the apostles are begging for you to be encouraged so that you continue to do what you have received. What does that mean? Well, let's take a look. Paul encourages the the Thessalonians to walk and please God after the things they had received from the apostles when they visited them. Walking after those instructions would lead to their growth multiplying more and more. And you may say, Pastor, it doesn't say growth multiplying more and more. Well, it says that when it uses this phrase, abound more and more. That word abound carries the meaning of growth. And if we take the rest of Scripture, this is my favorite thing to do, if we take other places in Scripture where this word abound is used and we do a search, you can see whether it's abounding as to fruit or abounding as to the winning of souls. It is always building on something, and that something is the gospel. That's the foundation. You understand that you're saved? Build off of that. Grow through that. Maintain good works. Abound more and more from the things that you have received. But there's a pattern here. Here's the pattern. Paul's source of encouragement was, first, Jesus Christ, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus. Second, it is received instruction. That as ye have received of us. In order for the believers in Thessalonica to receive information from the apostles, they first had to be trained in the doctrine. They had to be at the, uh, the, the Bible college of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And did you know, at the end of their examinations, they all failed? As soon as Jesus was put on that cross, as soon as he was in the ground, three days later, they were back to doing their own thing. Two strong stories that I just want you to hone in on. Those that were on the road to Emmaus. And Jesus appeared. He's talking to them. And they have long face. They're sad. Jesus says, what, what's going on? And they look at him like, uh, pff, have you been on vacation? <laughs> like, have you not known what's going on? about Jesus. And then he begins to teach them. And as they're breaking bread with him later, that veil is lifted and they see this is Jesus. And they said, our hearts burned within us. I love that. I just love that phrase. The second one I want you to focus on is uh, Peter. The Lord comes back. They're having a little campfire fish meal. And Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? The third time Jesus asked, it broke Peter's heart. Because Jesus used the same word that Peter was using, which was different than the first two times when Jesus was talking. I don't think that's mainly the focus. The focus is they all were used by God after they failed that test. They all went back to doing life as normal, but Jesus brought them back into a right standing with him, excuse me, a right relationship with him, and they went around and all of them gave their lives for the gospel. And they were with him for those 40 days while he was here after his resurrection, and they saw him go up. And 10 days later, the Holy Spirit came down, and no one could stop those men because they knew what they had seen. Now, they had instruction to go to Jerusalem and wait. 
But I think even if they didn't have that instruction, they still would have gone out and shared the gospel. Now they had the power of the Holy Spirit with them. But they were faithful to retain what they had been taught. The Holy Spirit is now in direct line with what they're doing. And now the believers at Thessalonica get saved. What's their responsibility? Sit at their feet and learn. Learn. Retain. Do what is said. That's the second source of encouragement. Receive the instruction. And then finally, desire and show growth. Look at that last part. How ye ought to walk and to please. If you're standing still, are you walking? No, right? Now you may say, feet, walk. Okay, what has to happen? I know this sounds so basic, but I want you to think about this in relation to the Christian life. You have to put one foot in front of the other, in front of the other. And not everybody knows. You, you guys had to, we all had to learn how to walk. We started like this, and then one day we just stood up, and all of a sudden mom and dad are like, hello, you know, we're having this problem at the house. Remy likes to stand up on everything. Well, you know what she likes to get her little body up? A flight of stairs. That could be a problem. When mom's cooking and takes her eyes off of Remy for a quarter of a millisecond, and she's up at the top of the stairs like, ha ha, life is great, you know? But there's coming a day, Lord willing, there's coming a day where she's going to get up on those two feet and figure out there's a better way to get around. But she's not going to whoop and just start, you know, everything's good. She has to learn how to do that. Same thing with the Christian life. And that's what Paul is instructing them. The things that you've heard, you had to be here to hear them. Now I want you to go do them. I'm encouraging you to do that. Do that and have that desired growth. Abound more and more. The application from this verse tells believers that we find encouragement through, first, first, you look to Jesus, folks. You look to him, not your pastor, not your prayer partner, not to diminish those people, but we look to Jesus Christ. Because if you've got a good pastor and a good prayer partner, they already have their eyes on the Lord. Amen? We need to all stay focused on him. Make this as a reference because time is against me. Well, I want you to note Hebrews 12, 1 through 2, and turn to Hebrews 4, 14. Just mark Hebrews 12, 1 through 2, and turn to Hebrews 4, 14. By the way, if you want a copy of the notes tonight, I'd be more than happy to email them to you. I'm looking at them in PDF format. Any computer can accept that. So you just send me a text or let me know afterwards, and I'll get your email and send it to you. Hebrews 4.14 says this, Seeing then that we have, this is, we have, this is in possession, we the believers, have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. So what we have first believed, let us continue in that belief, let us hold it fast, securely, let it be established, because we have Jesus. That's what that verse is saying. The high priest was the intercessor for the children of Israel in the Holy of Holies. He would go once a year and make those sacrifices. Jesus is our high priest. We're not even Jewish. He's our high priest because he has gone in and done for us what we could not do for ourselves. And he's alive He's not dead. He's not paying for his own sin, amen? 
we're not excited about this. That's okay. It's a long end of the day. But what this tells us is don't quit. Why? Because you have a thriving community of brothers and sisters in Christ? No, no. Don't quit because you've got Jesus who intercedes for you. That's the first thing in how we encourage one another. The second is we, we receive Bible teaching. Look at Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. I challenge you sometime this week to read the book of Acts in one sitting. I think it'll be an easy challenge for you to do. That book is mm, good. I wish someone would make a verse-by-verse accurate depiction of Acts chapter 2. They wouldn't have a hard time because it's already written like a screenplay. Acts chapter 2 and verse 42 says this, the Holy Spirit had just come down. Speaking in tongues had just happened. Peter gave that message to the Jews. Repent, not turn from your sin. Change your mind about who you thought Jesus was. You thought he was a blasphemer? He's the Messiah, the Son of God. Believe on him. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. And we know the apostles' doctrine was Jesus' doctrine. We still do this today. You're doing that right now. I'm delivering to you what was first delivered to the apostles, which was delivered by Jesus Christ. That's what's special about this book. It's not man's creation. It's God's authority. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and in prayers. They ate with one another. They prayed for one another. They spent time with one another, but primarily they received teaching from the apostles. Going to church is vital to your spiritual success. Why? Because that's where you get the word taught. It's not the only way that you grow, but it's a great place to start. If I were to look back on my Christian life and say, where did I start growing exponentially? It was coming to every service. I made a commitment that every time these doors were open, my rear end would be in a pew. That's it. And I started to see growth. I started going, wow, Dr. Arnold knows a lot. Next time I'm going to bring a notepad and a pencil. And next thing I know, I have to stop marking in my Bible because I can't tell where the scripture is. It's all circle here, underline here, and all that. I'm not saying that's bad, but for me, that was distracting. I started to realize there's a lot in this book that I don't know that this man, Dr. Arnold, as a faithful pastor, is willing and able to communicate to me. I need to be here when he is ready to teach. Then I heard guest speakers. Then I found other clear people in other networks around the country, and I thought, what an opportunity to grow. Folks, I thought I honestly missed it when Dr. Lindstrom passed. I thought I missed my opportunity to learn the Bible. But I'm so glad he was not the only one teaching and preaching the truth. But when I'm around that kind of opportunity, I want to be here. I want to hear that. That's an important part of encouragement. Look in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scripture, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that to this end, the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly 
furnished unto all good works. When somebody says, God told me, you say, well, God wrote it first. And I'm going to compare what God wrote with what you said. And we're going to find out who's right. And if that person who said, God said, is found to be a liar, then that's exactly what they are, folks. This verse tells you, you are completed by the word. All the knowledge you need is already written. You don't need me. We have the word. Anything I teach is not a fancy creation of my own. I'm trying to teach in line with the Holy Spirit has already communicated. But I want you to focus. Verse 14 and 15 talks about Timothy learning salvation as a child from the Scriptures. But 16 and 17 says, continue on past that. Grow into your salvation because the Word is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. It will make you stronger. And finally, bearing fruit. Look in 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. It says this, 2 Peter 1, verse 5, And besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue, knowledge, and to knowledge, temperance, and to temperance, patience. I just want you to stop for a moment and see how knowledge is not everything, folks. It's one of the first things mentioned, and you grow into that. After you've got all the knowledge, you need to learn discipline. And discipline teaches you how to be patient. And patience, godliness, verse 7, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity. Notice what's after the word charity there, a period. That is the goal. Love. Love's the goal. It's not, well, you know, I love, no, no, I, I got really smart. No, no. You get knowledgeable, you exercise that knowledge, it should grow into the demonstration of love. That's what 1 John is talking about. But, for if these things be in you, what, what things? All those things that you add and you work on to your faith. And abound. They make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful. Some people say, well, how do I do it? How do I do it? You follow this map right here, it's a guarantee you will bear fruit. Guarantee. You'll be uh, neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things, what are these things? That growth is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. I read a commentary that made an interesting point about this verse. It says that the person is blind, but it also says they can't see afar. I think some of y'all understand this. We're not blind, but things far away, we go, okay, got to get some glasses, some magnification. You see the image of something, but you don't know what it is. What a great comparison to the Christian life. You know the little things, the up-close things, but the far things you can't understand because you don't have exercised growth. You don't have works to add to that growth. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, the rather being, be the one that grows, Give diligence to make your calling and election sure. Not that you're saved, but that your growth is evident so it can bring uh, glory and honor to the Lord. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. There is an opportunity for the believer to remain from that big fall of sin you add to your faith. And finally, 318, 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18. We won't be able to get to the second part of the message tonight, but we'll do that another night. 
2 Peter 3.18 says this, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's a very interesting phrase. He opened with that same statement. I'll read it to you. It's back there just where we were in 2 Peter 1.8. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor fruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's the same phrase he uses there in chapter 3 and verse 18. Grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the goal, folks. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. So encouragement is helping people in the area of consoling, encouraging, and strengthening to comfort so they do those things. You can close your Bible and say this final point here. Encouragement is not tolerating people's sin. It's not excusing sinful behavior because, well, the culture says that's acceptable. We're living in a world today where truth is by preference. It's true if I prefer it. That's not what the Bible uh, endorses. The Bible condones the truth from God. And you see that a lot, especially when you're studying that word truth, God's truth, God's word, all these different things. It's important that truth is defined because people can manipulate the truth, can they not? But a function that we're supposed to do as a part of the body of Christ is encourage people. And the best thing you can do for someone is listen and then be ready to help them. Not like you become a counselor and you start giving them specifics like, you need to start doing this and stop doing that. The best thing you can do for somebody is point them to the Savior. I think the best thing you can do for somebody, you may say, well, I don't have a counseling degree. I don't know how to work conversations. Just commit to do this. When you're talking with a brother or sister in Christ and you're hearing that they're going through difficulties, bring them with you in prayer right there and ask that they would be given strength to be able to do what God is asking them to do. Don't make, a don't make a spectacle of it. Just pray with them. I guarantee you one of two things will happen. That person will go, whoa, I didn't expect this. <laughs> you know why people rarely expect another person to pray for them? Because it's rarely done. And that's really, a, that, that, that's a shame. But number two, they'll begin to focus on the real solution. It's asking the Lord for help. It's not finding, you know, here's a, 10 things to help you grow. Number seven will blow your mind. It's not an article on Christian Today or whatever. It's the word. It's prayer. It's encouragement. If you're here tonight and you don't know where you're going to go when you die, I have great news for you. You can know that you're going to heaven. This hand to represent you and me, this block of sin to represent sin, I put it on top of my hand because the Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. God loves us, but he hates our sin. Our sin separates us from him. The payment for sin is eternal separation from God forever in a literal fire-burning hell. God loves us very much. He's made a payment for this sin, but man in his deception thinks, I can be perfect. I can be just like God if I turn from this, if I give money, if I am a good person according to the world standard. If I do the best that I can, God will fill in the rest. Those are all deceptions to keep people focused on themselves as their own Savior. God made a payment for this sin because he's the only way that we could experience salvation. Somebody has to die for this. 
It's not turning from, starting something, or stopping something. Somebody has to die for this sin. This hand represents the only begotten Son of God, Jesus Christ. God, in His love, sent His Son to die in our place. He was buried and He rose again three days later, making the payment for sin. And the Bible says, Whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. The payment for sin has already been made. You have that payment, which is God's righteousness, applied to your account the moment that you believe that what Jesus Christ did on the cross, He did to pay for your sins. The very moment you're saved, and you're saved forever, and now we can grow in that grace which was demonstrated to us. Would you pray with me, please? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. If you're on the internet today and you say, Pastor, that makes sense. I've put my trust in Jesus Christ I know I'm going to heaven. Would you pray for me? You betcha I would. Please leave a comment or hit the button on our website right underneath this video. Or you can leave a like and we'll be more than happy to reach out to you. For those of us here in the audience, I want you to be people with the radar for encouragement. Be looking for it. Be studying God's word and ready to sit with people in the ministry and pray for them to listen, but to know the word and to know Jesus. Father, thank you for all that you have given us tonight. In the name of Jesus, I pray these things.